for a little while, and it may be a short while because my battery just said I only have 10%, so I'm down to the end. John chapter 14, going to read verse 30 and verse 31. John chapter 14, verse 30 and 31. Jesus speaking. This entire 14th chapter almost is his conversation with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem prior to the crucifixion. And this is what he said, verse 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know. I wish you could underline those few words. But that the world may know. That I love the Father and as the Father hath gave me commandment. Even so I do. Period. Arise. Let us go hence. Everybody said amen. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight from this subject, words to live by. Everybody, you may be seated. Words to live by. I don't know about you, but I find great strength when I look around at people, others who have gone through uh, great troubles or adversities or they have had to face great trials and difficulties and they have made it through. It is one of the great pleasures of my life to read and enjoy uh, what others have discovered in their journey in living for God and to see how they did it. It is inspiring to know that they made it. There's great encouragement to me in their triumph. It tells me that if they could do it, I can do it. Amen. Everybody say that. If they can do it, I can do it. But what I really get inspiration from is when I look at the life of Jesus, and I never grow weary of looking at how he faced certain situations, many of them challenging and many of them threatening, and yet the way in which he faced them, I have often found great encouragement. John chapter 14 is, it is one of the grandest texts of in all of the Bible, Jesus helps his uh, disciples get together for this last time before Calvary, and he tries to help them understand what is coming, what is manifest. And he ends this chapter with one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. And I think most of you could quote it. It simply says, let not your heart be troubled. 
You know what? That is a great word. That is a great text for troubled hearts tonight. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you that where I am, there you may be also. And such was the beginning of his conversation with these wonderful men. But what really inspired me, and I don't know how long ago, but I was reading through John and I came to this last verse in chapter 14 and it just got a hold of me. I love it. I I love it because of what I have come to understand that it represents. You see, Jesus had been eating the Passover with his disciples and the traitor Judas had gone out to make his arrangements, what he was going to do. And Jesus saw all of this transpire and yet there was nothing in him of fainting or turning back or giving up. There was nothing in him of panic. There was nothing in him of stress. And it seems to me, maybe I'm just reading into it, but it seems when I read this chapter that the closer we get to the end of chapter 14, it is almost as if Jesus squares his shoulders while he is looking and speaking to his disciples. And after he has said all that he has said, he then speaks to them and said, Arise, let us go hence, knowing what was before him knowing what awaited him outside that room, knowing what was coming down on him in the next few hours, knowing what was about to transpire in his own life, he chose to rise and go to it rather than wait for it to come to him. Amen. Jesus was surrounded in that upper room by his friends and his supporters. He was surrounded by those who loved him and had fellowship with him. And outside of that upper room were the haters and the critics and those that were out to take his life. So in my mind, why would a man leave such a comfortable setting? Why would anybody leave such a support group to go out and know what he was going to face and know what he was going to endure? Why not stay surrounded by your supporters? Why not stay in that cloistered atmosphere where they are adoring and loving him? The reason he did not stay is because his purpose was not in an upper room. His purpose was on a tree. And he could not fulfill his purpose if he stayed in that upper room. His purpose was not there. 
in that quiet place. To stay sequestered there in that safe place may have sounded good to the flesh, but his spirit knew that he could not linger much longer. And as grand as had been the beginning in that upper room text, he refused to camp out there and he decided that it was time to move on. There are times in life when you and I have to do just that. We have to get up and face whatever it is out there and move on. We have to face the music that is before us. Trying to avoid it will not avoid the, the conflict or the issues. It might not be convenient and it might not be comfortable and it certainly is not desirable. But you do have to face it. And you do have to go meet it. What challenges me in this text is not just that he got up to go, but it tells me that he was not afraid to face his future, whatever that future was. And you know what? That is what scares a lot of people in this building tonight is the future. It's what we know may may be coming down the road. It's what we know could be coming or the inevitable. It's, it's like it or not, you're going to have to face that future at some place. And so this text tells me that he was not afraid to face his future. He was not afraid to stand up and go out and meet what was before him. He knew that this was not the end. And I don't know, but I need to stop right now and tell somebody that though people have betrayed you and people have walked away from you, this is not the end of your life. This is not the final chapter. It is simply a transition. God's about to move you to another place. And so he stayed the course. He got up and he moved out. He was not afraid to face his enemies, the devil. And he even speaks of him. He said, the devil's coming and he has nothing in me. He has found not one thing in my life that he could identify with. And he's coming. Not only that, but he in a few hours was going to have to wrestle with his own flesh. Because his own flesh did not want to do what was coming. But both of those things had tried to keep him from his purpose And yet he rose to face them, knowing that they were not going to overcome him, but he was going to overcome them. I like this text because it says to me that Jesus accepted what is instead of trying to live in what was. You need to let that sink in a little while. He was willing to accept what is. The crowd wasn't there anymore. The followers weren't thronging him anymore. It would have been easy for him to have gone back and become nostalgic and talk about the beginning and the good old days when they came from everywhere, but they were no longer there But that didn't matter. The fact is his life was not over 
This was just a transition into another place. And so he accepted what is. It's not necessarily what I want. It's not what I like. It's not what I would wish for. But I refuse to live in what was. I'm going to face what is. And what is before me is a devil and my own flesh. And I intend to conquer both of them. Amen. I intend to conquer both of them. Rise, let us go hence. Amen. Rise, let us go forward. I like this because he is moving in the right direction. He is forward in his movement. He's not going back. He's not turning around. He's not running from his problems. He's not retreating from those things that are before him to bygone days. He just accepts what is and said, let's go meet it. He's facing the reality of his purpose. He is not afraid to live with what is. You know, that's what got a lot of folks messed up right now because they don't like what is. Amen. They don't like the fact that life may have not worked out the way they wanted it to and maybe it's not going the way we would want it to, but it is what it is, folks. And we can bury our head in the sand and wish and pretend and we can stick our fingers in our ear all day long and go da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But the fact is, none of that's going to change what is. And Jesus was not afraid of what is. Amen. He didn't run from it. He just rose up to meet it. He knew that he would never know the victory of resurrection until he felt the shame of the cross and the taste of of the bitter death of death. Sometimes in life, you and I have to taste the bitter before we taste the better. Amen. And some of you are tasting that tonight. Sometimes you have to die before you can live. You have to get up and face the undesirable before the victory comes. You have to face what is before you to get to where God wants you to be. What I love about this text is that he did not hesitate. He didn't vacillate. He didn't waver. He didn't falter. He wasn't panicking. He simply got up and went out to face what is before him. You know what I fear in the hour that we live in? I am afraid that far too many of us hesitate to run any risk in living for God. If it's beyond our comfort zone, if it's not to our liking, if it doesn't meet our criteria, we are unwilling to risk anything for Him. But knowing what was before Him and knowing the hatred and knowing the bitterness and Knowing what was in man, he rose up and went out that door to face what was before him. He refused to turn back. And God sent me here tonight to tell somebody that it's too soon for you to turn back. I don't care what you're facing. You need to get up and go out and face it. Because you're never going to overcome it until you do. 
Amen. We quit too soon, we give up too soon, and we turn back too quick. When I read this a few days ago, I began to wonder what in the world could prompt such words of a man who could know what was coming and yet go out to face it unafraid. And then I got to looking at the text and I understood there were two things that caused him to do this. Go back to verse number 31 and listen to what he said to those disciples. He said, but that the world may know that I love the Father and the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. The first reason that he makes this statement is because of love. He did what he did. He faced what he had to face for love's sake. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not talking about the mushy, gooey, shallow, me-driven word that we use in our culture for love. When we talk about love in our culture, it's usually about what is appealing to us. It has all to do about our feelings and about our emotions. But the love that he is speaking of here is the word agape. And that word is unselfish love. It is something that is done not for the sake of that person, but for the sake of others. And so he got up and he faced the future, not because his flesh wanted to, but because others needed him to. He got up and went forward, and he got up and faced the uncertainty of tomorrow because others needed him to do that. You and I needed him to do that. He did it for love's sake. You know what? A lot of things could be changed in all of our lives if we would start doing it for love's sake. I don't mean emotion's sake. I don't mean feeling's sake. I don't mean cuddly sake. I don't mean ooey-gooey sake. I mean for that unselfish desire to only want to help others. To do what you do, not because it makes you feel better or because it elevates you to another place, but do it because there's something worth being done and somebody's got to do it. And Jesus said, I'm the one that's going to do it. I'm not afraid to do it, but I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for others. How our world would change if we would start living for others Not for our sake, but for the sake of others. What could change in life if people would just do it for love's sake? For the love of your family. For the love of God. For the love of your church. Amen. For love's sake. Amen. For love's sake. You know, there are families that are in distress tonight. That if somebody would just decide to do something for love's sake. Not for themselves, but for love's sake. It would help ease the tension and the stress in their home. 
And he did it for love's sake. The reason he got up and said, come on, guys, let's go. I can't stay here. This is not where my destiny is. My destiny is out there. But he didn't do it for himself. He didn't do it to make a name for himself. He did it because I needed him to do it. He did it, he did it because if he didn't do it, no one else could do it. He did it for love's sake. But that wasn't the only reason he said that, and certainly not the only reason he did that. The latter reason is, I think, the most compelling of all. And when he said this, he said, As the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. He did it for duty's sake. Now, I know that that's a word that not very many people are familiar with anymore. Duty. Everybody say that word, duty. Duty. As the Father hath commanded me, so I do. I didn't ask him if there was an easier way. I didn't ask him if there was a less painful way. He just said, do it. And I said, I'll do it. Duty's sake. You know what our world needs? Our world needs some people that will do right for duty's sake. Our world needs people who will do right because it needs to be done right. He had a job to do. He had a calling on his life. He had a purpose This was the right thing to do. There was no self-interest here. He did not take a poll to see if it was the popular thing to do. He didn't check the conventional wisdom or check the winds of politics to see if it would be favorable for him. He said, God gave me a commandment, and I'm doing it because God gave me that commandment. There are things that I've got to do for God, not because I feel like doing them, but I've got to do them because God gave me the command to do them. And it's not my obligation to talk about whether it's right or not. It is my obligation to just get up and do it. Amen. There is no self-interest in this word. Just a sense of duty, a responsibility, an obligation, an allotted task, a calling. What a revolutionary idea to do it for duty's sake. Amen. To show up for duty's sake. Well, I thought church was about how I felt. I thought church was about creature comfort. I thought church was about everybody ministering to me. Oh, oh yeah. Sometimes you need to do it because it is your duty to do it. You see, sometimes God gives reasons for what he requires of us. But there are times when the only reason he gives is because I said so. Well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. I said it. I need you to do it. Well, I don't agree with that. Well, I didn't ask you whether you agreed with me or not. I asked you to do it. Well, well, you know, it's going to be painful. It's going to be costly. 
It, there's going to be sacrifice involved if I have to do it. Well, you know what? I, I didn't ask you whether there was going to be sacrifice. I just asked you to do it for duty's sake. Duty's sake. Everybody say duty's sake. Not my feelings. Not whether I want to, but a sense of duty, a responsibility. Jesus said, I've got to leave this place. I've got to face what is before me because it's my responsibility to do that. It doesn't mean that I have to like it, but I have to do it. Listen to me, young folks. You need to learn this word, duty. Duty, D-U-T-Y. Amen. You need a sense of duty about you. When you get up in the morning and all you feel like doing is pulling the sheet over your head, you need to remember you've got a responsibility to get an education. And so whether you feel like it or not, you pull those curtains down and you get up and you put your clothes on and you go to school because it's your duty to go to school. Say, but I don't feel like it. You know what? God didn't ask you whether you felt it or not. He just said, do it. Well, I don't know. Do I have to always obey my parents? You know what? I've had some young people ask me one time, if my parents aren't living for God, do I still have to obey them? I said, read my lips. The Bible doesn't say if your parents are good or if your parents are in church or if your parents are wise, or if your parents are good to obey them. It simply said, honor your parents. Honor those who were in authority over you. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to check your feelings in the morning to decide What the Lord did was not based on his feelings. He didn't consult his likings. He didn't consult convenience for it. He just said, I've got to do it because God gave me a commandment to do it. What a world would change for a lot of folks if we would just do it for duty's sake. Amen. You hear me this afternoon. A person who will not for the sake of duty do what is right will never be able to face the fires of adversity. Sometimes you have to love people because it's your duty to love them. Oh, I know that went over like a lead balloon. You have to be kind to people because it is your duty to be kind to them. If You call yourself a Christian. We don't have the option to check that off on Monday morning when we're driving down the freeway. We have a duty to show forth the love of God wherever we go. A duty. It's not based on your feelings or your emotions or your sign whatever it might be, whether you're an Aquarius or a Sagittarius or whatever those things are, a Jupiter or a Mars. 
It doesn't matter. You do it for duty's sake. And there are families that need some parents to do things for duty's sake. Amen. Not because you feel it. Not because it's convenient. Not because it's something that you even want to do. But it's something that needs to be done. Amen. Duty. 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 Getting up in the morning. Doing what's right because it's my duty to do what's right. Getting up in the morning and going out to show the love of God because it is my duty to do that. It is my responsibility. I don't have the option of checking out and say, well, you know what, I don't feel like being Christian today. I don't feel like being godly today. I don't feel like being spiritual today. It is my duty. It is my duty. He said, I was given a commandment, and so I do that. What would happen in our lives if we would simply decide to do things for duty's sake? Amen. I know that's strange to our culture because everything around us is done for convenience sake. It's done based upon how it's going to affect our emotions and our feelings. Even the convenience of a drive through is based on how you will respond. Amen. How quickly they can get you in. and How quickly they can get you through. And I caught myself the other day being really impatient because it was taking too long in a line. And then it began to dawn on me. You know what? You don't have the option to be impatient today. Because I have been so patient with you. You need to be patient with that person up there. They may be having a bad day. Amen. And so I had to calm myself down and do duty's sake. Amen. I had to be nice. I smiled and I wished them a good day. Now, my first reaction was to say, you guys need to get this thing moving. Y'all need to get your act together. He did it for duty's sake. Amen. Amen. You know what? You probably won't believe this. But if I came to church only when I felt like coming to church, I'd miss about half the time. Because I just don't feel like it. But there's times... In spite of your feelings, there's a responsibility. Somebody's depending on you. Somebody's counting on you. The greatest disappointment in our young life, when I was growing up, there was a man in our church at home that I idolized. He was just, he was a very nice man, had a great family, but I, I don't know, he just became my hero. And... I would watch him in service and I watched how he clapped his hands. I watched how he raised his hands and I would imitate him. 
just six, seven years old, I would watch him. I would put my hands up like he did. And little did he know, little did he know that there was a young boy watching every move that he made. And I don't know what happened to him, but something came up in life that he was unwilling to face. And so he turned and walked away. And I remember as a young child looking across the church to where he used to sit and wonder what happened. What happened to my hero? What happened to that man that I respected so much and I watched and I tried to mimic and I wanted to be like? I dare say that to this day that man does not know that anybody was even watching, but they are. They're paying attention right now. And sometimes you just have to show up for duty's sake. You have to love people for duty's sake. You have to love not for yourself, but for the sake of others. Agape love is not a deserved love. It is a love that's given to those who do not deserve it. And he said, I'm doing this for love's sake. I'm doing it for duty's sake. And so it is with us. We've got to face the future, whatever it is. I, it, it may be ugly. It may be painful. It may be disturbing. It may be troubling. But whatever it is, we just, we've got to rise up and face it because it is our duty to face it. God didn't call us to be quitters. God didn't call us to give up. He didn't save you so you could be lost. Amen. Let's stand together. Wonderful, wonderful words to live by. Do it for duty's sake. I worship sometimes because of duty's sake. There's times that I feel like worshiping. There's many times that we come in this church and the the, the music is right and the, the atmosphere is right and it's so easy to get into it. But there are times when you come in and you don't feel like it. You... The, 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 the timing, the song selection. And, and so you have to worship for duty's sake. You have to worship because it's your responsibility to worship. You have to do it because God calls you to do it. There's times when people come into your life that they don't deserve kindness or love. There's some people in your life right now that don't. But you need to love them anyway. You need to face the future. You need to face the unknown tomorrow for love's sake. Amen. Do it for love's sake. Do it for love's sake. Not because they deserve it, not because they merit it, but because they need it. Amen. Somebody needs your love tonight. Reach over and take somebody by the hand. Holy Ghost, right now, stir something in this church.